What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the guest show on the Active Life Podcast. Today's guest is Sam Miller. You might know him as Sam Miller Science, as he talks about in the show. His friends actually told him he should change his name legally to Sam Miller Science. He hasn't done it yet. On today's episode, we talk about when Sam made the big pivot from being a coach that works with a bunch of people one-on-one to a coach who coaches coaches. And we start talking about whether or not I'm eating enough red meat to kill myself within a year. Not something I'm aiming to do, something that people have told me I'm going to do by accident. So we actually go through my blood work on the show. Sam talks to me about what my blood work means and talks about how much red meat is too much red meat. How do you know and do you need to go get a lab every six weeks to make sure you're not killing yourself with your diet? I think this is a fun episode. Sam is a really well-spoken guy and I think you'll get a lot out of it. So with no further ado, let's get you to Sam Miller. We're going to get to the show in a minute. What I want to talk about first is the new Active Life Enhanced Assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client, and we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And The honest answer is always, it depends, and we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment. And they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead, check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. Sam Miller, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Anybody who has the name science in their company name or their Instagram handle or their regular sentence structure, I'm interested in talking to them because I just find people who are into the legit nitty gritty. I will find out if that's true or not. I actually don't know right now, which is the scientific mindset. I want to know them. And everyone I talked to about you, by the way, Christine Andali, I think, has the best description of you, our friend Christine Andali. Like, tell me about Sam Miller. She's like, oh, Sam is so smart. Like, perfect. <laughs> that's, that's all you got. <laughs> no, I mean, she obviously oh, said more. She talked about how, how much she loves working with you, how much she's learned in such a short period of time. But uh, that was the thing that, that stuck with me. Like she doesn't, she doesn't gush about people unless they're legit. I appreciate that. Yeah. She's, she's super cool. I've enjoyed uh, kind of learning more about her background and she's been kind of a key cornerstone member of my September cohort of my functional nutrition program. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, a lot of people mentioned the whole science thing. And it was so funny is it was one of those moments where I like, I changed my Instagram handle, right? And you have those times where you think about it and you're like, well, maybe I should reserve this one. Uh, this might be best for my business or best for my brand. You do the same thing with domain names, company names, logos. And I made the switch probably like almost probably four years ago now. 
and it wasn't even my company name at the time. I just was doing a lot with nutrition and doing a lot with, uh, you know, hormones, reverse dieting, even, even training to some extent. And so science to me, I think a lot of people, when they see my, my name or my Instagram handle and they associate it with certain, you know, answers or data. And, and really for me, it was more about, you know, asking the right questions. How do we approach things? Uh, you know, the idea behind the whole scientific method is we're basically testing ideas and like, can this idea be a theory and will it hold up to scrutiny over time as professionals sort of examine that idea? And so for me, you know, I like the process of kind of like learning things, simplifying it, making it a little bit more digestible. And certainly like you need science in that, but I think a lot of times people uh, exclusively will pay attention only to the science and research studies or like they only pay attention to the science. Well, this is how it works on the gym floor and that's all that matters. And really I think it's blending different expertise areas and understanding that anecdote can be really powerful. Observation can be really powerful, but also, you know, people have spent their whole lives studying one particular subject and like controlling for certain variables and, and looking at that in research can be powerful too. It doesn't mean that's exactly how it's going to play out with your clients. And maybe you lack that level of control in the transformation process. But for me, that's kind of where science came from. I also, I'm just, uh, I like alliteration. I, I like, you know, I was kind of going, shifting my brand at the time a little bit anyways. And so that's kind of where I landed and people liked it and it just stuck. In fact, some of my friends and followers and, Former clients have even encouraged me to like legally change my my middle name. Uh, <laughs> so that that hasn't happened yet. But it's funny. I actually went to get labs done the other day, and I think based off my email, LabCorp like populated my information as if I had science as a part of my name. So that's, that was that's like awesome. I've really I've really come full circle from the day I was like sitting in bed and changed my Instagram handle. I uh, didn't really have many followers at the time. And the science that I did know wasn't really, you know, even, I, I kind of have come to question some of it. And you know, certainly my theories have evolved, but that's kind of the story behind the name and, and the brand. And, and now I'm, I'm kind of working to shift to go beyond just, just me, which I'm sure you can uh, relate to in, in your growth of active life. But that's just uh, a little, little bit of backstory and where the science came from and, added to the, the whole Sam Miller part that my parents gave me about 30 something years ago. So. Well, I, I think, I think you, I think you're wise to include the anecdotal influence within science as opposed to taking science and making it this very small box. The only thing that is science is peer reviewed literature. I think that that would be a mistake. And I think you're wise to include both. One of my favorite groups of people to bother is the one who trolls me. Well, it used to be me. Now it's Mesa running our social media. Every time we would say something like, if you can do 20 step ups on one leg and two on the other, you're more likely to get hurt than somebody who can do 20 on both. You're like, you have no hard evidence to prove that. I'm like, you're right. I don't. It just seems reasonable to me. Did you study the water in your shower today? No. What does that mean? Like, are you sure it was wet? Uh, yeah. I'm like, are you sure you're cleaner than when you went into the shower? Yeah. How do you know? Do you have a peer reviewed study that shows that you're cleaner than now that you've taken the shower? No. Okay. So it's anecdotal. Got it. But you still shower. Yes. Great. We're entitled to our anecdotal ex- 
you know, anecdotal thoughts. Yeah. So what's your background, Sam? Because, um, we've spoken before briefly. I follow your stuff on Instagram and from Joel Cavanero to Christine on Dolly to hordes of other people who look to you as, as their beacon of influence from an efficacy perspective. Um, you have a lot of street cred and I'm curious where it comes from. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's really interesting because sometimes when you have your blinders on and, and your head down and you're trying so hard to, to have the street cred and to get the results that you don't always, you don't hear feedback, which I guess can be good when there's people trolling you and it can be bad when, you know, there's people that have nice things to say about you. So uh, I appreciate the, the kind words and for sharing, sharing the kind words with me. So my background the, the reason I got into nutrition science specifically and endocrinology and physiology is largely due to uh, my own health journey, health and fitness journey, as well as some family history as well. So, you know, in kind of formative years for me, high school, you know, even my college application, I was writing about my dad's health at the time. Um, he had had two major uh, heart related procedures and operations. In my teens, uh, for me, I also had a pretty significant concussion. So in literature or in endocrinology land, they'll say like TBIs, uh, so traumatic brain injury, which makes it sound a lot more gnarly than a concussion. But depending on how you hit your head, the severity of, you know, where you hit, you know, the extent to which you hit your head, uh, you can have some ramifications. So I had some additional MRIs done and turns out that particular part um, for me uh, I had some swelling of my pituitary gland and your pituitary plays an important role along with your hypothalamus in regulating your endocrine system. Uh, not to mention, you know, I was not the most educated athlete at the time. Um, you know, what doing sport high were you playing? Sports and things like that. So, you hurt. so in high school I did a, so I was snowboarding actually when I uh, okay. hit my head, I was wearing a helmet, but I just in Vermont uh, you know, caught an edge, ended up falling backwards down the mountain. Uh, and, and ended up hitting my head. And so I don't remember a ton, but uh, it was the one run down the mountain that my friend decided to go to the bathroom, take a break, grab a drink. And of course I was by myself. So I don't know how long I was really out for, but decided, Hey, I probably can't hang out here. So I need to get down the mountain, Um, got to the bottom. And this is one of my best friends. We even went to, uh, or at least, as a kid, it was one of my childhood best friends. And uh, we, <laughs> I get to the bottom, and he's probably within five feet of me. And I'm looking like 100 yards in the distance as if I don't see anyone I recognize. He walks up. Uh, we start having a conversation. And then apparently he tells me to this day that I was repeating like my name, my phone number, my parents' information. It's like I, I had like a code red button that my mom programmed into me from a young age. So for any of the parents listening, I guess that's a takeaway. If, you, if, you're, if your kid is ever severely injured and needs to get help, it probably helps to know that the information. This was before smartphones and everything. So I guess my parents, you know, and walking home from the school bus, I had that had that drilled into me. So combination of things really I had I had that concussion ended up going on a spine board that day and they checked for like internal you know brain bleed and things like that uh had a lot of follow-up so both uh endocrinologists in the northeast uh who then went on to fortunately I had an endocrinologist who went on to 
teach endocrinology. So I think that played a large role in why I learned a lot of what I did about endocrinology and physiology. And then my personal health and fitness around that time, I was getting really, really into the gym. So I had a, uh, I took a body dynamics class as well as uh, kind of sports dynamics, which was basically a combination. One was more geared towards athletic training. One was geared more towards preparing you to be a personal trainer. When you leave high school, you could take a certification uh, based on the semester long prep that they do in that course. And so my teacher at the time was uh, very into Charles Poliquin and a number of other influential people in the fitness space at the time, super into uh, different like functional health products as well. And uh, he was close with a chiropractor the town over who was also into a lot of the same guys. And so I saw him and he ordered some labs for me and that's sort of how the journey started. But that same coach also taught me a lot about training and nutrition, uh, just enough where I was able to hurt myself, you know, not, mm-hmm. not enough where I was actually doing things responsibly. So I think what exacerbated my situation is I had, you know, obviously with a TBI, you've got some inflammation going on. You have, it's going to, you know, require some recovery bandwidth. And I was woefully under eating at the time. I basically would take combination of advice I'd get from my teacher and I would have every men's health and, you know, muscle development and flex magazines and all that. But mainly men's health and fitness was my jam at that time. Uh, and, and so following a lot of these diets that weren't necessarily designed for people that are, you know, in their teens, super active, uh, you know, dealing with, potentially the ramifications of, you know, head injury. And I think it was just a combination of stressors from a f- actual acute physical trauma and then prolonged uh, lack of nutritional periodization. And so that's why I'm, I'm really passionate about teaching those topics is because you can really um, do some negative things to your body when it comes to nutrition, if you're not properly planning. And if you stay in one phase, you know, too long, calorie surplus for too long, then you can basically give yourself type 2 diabetes in a calorie deficit for too long, or if you're anorexic or have orthorexic type behaviors, you know, you can certainly um, create some lasting changes to your endocrine system, physiology, et cetera. So for me, it was really a combination of, of the two, but I mean, that whole, the head injury and, and a number of other things played out for me over the course of several years. I mean, I was seeing my doctor in the Northeast near where my family was, but I was also going to, um, I think I mentioned Duke and a number of other places for second opinions oh, at the time. I kind Duke. of felt like a Grey's Anatomy episode. Well, I went to Elon for my bachelor's of science. So my undergrad uh, was at Elon university. And then I, uh, Duke that was a, about an hour. Dude, Duke is a four letter word where I'm from. I went to University of Maryland and Duke is a four letter word. The only good thing Duke ever did was they gave me material to put on a t-shirt that I sold as my first real business in college. It was not an appropriate t-shirt. It was, it was was bad. I I think it's in this office somewhere, but it was, it was, yeah, it was a picture of a Terrapin getting a blow job from a blue devil on the back. And it just said, Duke sucks. And we sold, we sold a ton of them, but, but so, so that to me, that was your, that was kind of like your superhero moment. You know, like that's when you got bit by the spider or that's when you fell down the hole and the bats all flew around you. That, that sounds like the reason that you, you became interested in this stuff, but where did you get your formal education in this? I'm sure it wasn't from your doctor giving you a tip and a trick here and there. Oh no. So I, I was fortunate to have a couple really great, um, 
coaches and mentors. And I, I, I mean, I just went to a lot of seminars. I would read a, a lot of it is self. I mean, people ask me like, is there a program that you really enjoy or, you know, who, who should I go and hire? And honestly, the list I would have to give you of people and the amount of money you would spend to go do that and time, you know, you could come back a decade from now and I don't know. It's, I think it was a mix of, I mean, I definitely took some, you know, nutrition classes in college. I, you know, took some, you know, more exercise based stuff as well. But aside from high school, college education, for me, it was seminars, Q and a sessions with folks who were smarter than me. So, um, I was also interested in kind of the fitness and bodybuilding side of the industry at the time. So I'd set up consults with older, older guys that had more experience than me, like, Scott Stevenson and John Meadows and Dr. Serrano is, uh, does a lot of seminars with John. And so learning kind of his take on things, uh, went to a number of different, just, you know, random continuing education whenever I could stuff online. But also I just started to learn how to get really good at searching for things on the internet, getting very specific and finding either studies or, or cases that I could pay attention to. But I also started personal training at a really young age. So I started to notice like, Hey, this whole sets and reps thing and just like counting your calories, you know, that there was more to it than that. Um, I was certified by the time I was like 17 or 18 as a personal trainer. And it was my main job really sophomore, junior, senior year of, of college for the most part. I even started taking some folks online too, who I'd maybe uh, worked, you know, either went to school with in high school or worked with. Taking folks online. You were you were taking folks online when the only other thing online was T Nation. <laughs> I did read T Nation. It was kind of a full circle. Uh, I finally I, I published an article with them about two or three years ago, and it was like a full circle moment mm-hmm. for me because I'm like, man, I read this in high school. Dude, I've wanted to close that loop so bad. The first <laughs> the first place I started reading information where I was like, wow, there are actually meatheads who are really smart was yeah. on T nation and I've wanted to write an article for them so bad for so long. I just haven't sat down to do it. And, and it's not that big of a priority. It was just, it's just like that itch. I want to scratch and say, yeah, we're, I, I used to, I read that in the computer library chiropractic school and now I'm on it. So I'll, I'll prioritize yeah. it in the meantime, what made you switch your focus from working with individuals to working with coaches? Why was that important? Uh, combo. So coaches were hiring me as their coach because they were messed up and then they Maybe wanted for, to for, learn like for their own nutrition coaching for nutrition. Yeah. Nutrition and training. And I was like, huh, so you're hiring me for this, but I know you're going to like, they were, they would then ask me some client questions and they'd be using, they'd be like, Oh, I like the way you do check-ins. Like I should do check-ins like this. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Uh, that's fair. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, it's kind of like, you you came up with that t-shirt because there was a demand for it at your university and mm-hmm. that was your first business, right? So for me, I think it was slowly but surely, whether it was local coaches, some online coaches, and uh, then I actually went to a few different industry events and realized that people really needed help with this. It was a problem. Like everyone was doing a mastermind to grow your business, but no one was like, <laughs> hey, you've got complex cases and you have no idea what to do with them or, okay, beyond regular dieting and like a calorie deficit, 
maybe half the people knew about reverse dieting, maybe 75% um, or different forms of nutritional periodization or even what I can do on a weekly basis, monthly basis with someone's calories. So it, it was a slow shift. To be honest, the first uh, change I really made was once I had that roster of clients, I basically started doing consult calls and I was just like, hey, I'll help you with any client you have for 30 minutes but I need a testimonial from you. Like I need social proof that this was helpful for you, that this, like I need proof of concept. So I said for like the first 20 or 30 people, I would do it that way. I think I ended up doing a few dozen calls. And then the following, I think maybe a month or two, maybe three months later, following quarter, uh, business wise, I, I launched my first mentorship program, which was just a combination of me teaching on zoom and, answering people's questions and doing one-to-one calls and helping them with their cases. So that was, that was the switch. So to be honest, it was partially uh, people around me were kind of like looking for that next thing beyond, okay, I have this basic nutrition certification, but I, I like know what calories are, but it's not solving my problem. And it just seemed so Side note for, for those listening, I also have a, a decent amount of business education. So I knew about like blue ocean strategy and, you know, obviously having, book. yeah, having, having some degree of, you know, unique kind of value proposition or opportunity switch, as some people would say, it can be really helpful. So for me, I'm like, well, everyone, what, like, what am I actually good at? Like, what do I actually help people with? Am I you know, I am a good coach. I can keep coaching, but how scalable is that? Um, and had some different coaches and um, folks providing input on, on my journey at that time too. But a lot of it was just, you know, whether I would go to an Orange Theory or a local strength and conditioning facility, really anywhere, it's like I was, I was coaching, I would do seminars, but then somehow I would end up like coaching the owner of that gym. Mm-hmm. So in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, we have a few different studios. So it was like I had the studio owner and then I had some of their clients. It was like a great way to like do nutrition coaching for them. And then it would be a few online folks or I would like go to a seminar, I'd go to an event and someone would be like, hey, I like the sound of that or I've, I've been struggling with that. Can you help me? I mean, I can't even go to the gym. Like till this day, that still happens. I went to work out on Monday and Tuesday and ended up talking about autoimmunity with one person, <laughs> low, like low testosterone with someone else. And then someone else who's having irregular cycles. You know, I'm the only guy that can go to the gym and I leave like knowing whether you're having like a healthy cycle and where your hormones are at and, and everything like that. But uh, so for me in high, and like I'm, I'm trying to weave these two stories together for you, but I guess it was a combination of one. I think it's just conversations I end up having anyways. Two would be it really was a blue ocean opportunity because other than big institutionalized holistic health and like functional nutrition or more functional medicine education, there wasn't a lot of functional nutrition education. There's a few people that do it, but it comes at a much higher cost and there's really no intimate, there's no intimacy. Like you hop on a PowerPoint lecture and you listen to it and then you take a test at the end and you pay still probably two times, three times what I would potentially charge you. Well, so. the, the reason why I wanted to know the answer to that question from you, Sam, is because I think that it tells a good story for people right now who feel like they're maybe a little bit burnt out. They've been doing the same thing for a long time. They feel like they're pretty good at it. 
and they're not growing. It's what's the next closest viable audience to work with you. And you saw very quickly, well, coaches are asking me for help on coaching. You have to be looking. You have to be looking to find what you're looking for. And when you started seeing that, you know, you were already asking yourself, how scalable is coaching people one-on-one? Then coaches started asking you questions and you said, I wonder if coaching coaches would be a good idea. Let me give it a try. And instead of just doing it for free or charging some BS price, you thought of how would this work if this works without asking someone to pay me for something I haven't proven yet. And that's, that's a really good lesson for anybody listening to, to jump into as they try to expand their own career, you know, go from being the coach in the gym to the coach of many people. It's start getting yourself testimonials from people who you're doing it for free in exchange for the testimonial and look for the next viable audience. I think that's smart. I think it's a good lesson for them to learn. I mean, I was terrible at Instagram and Facebook at the time. I mean, I didn't even have Facebook and Instagram for part of growing my business locally. I I really was thriving based off of referrals. And I was like the guy for seminars for the most part locally. Like, I don't really know a lot of other people that were doing nutrition seminars. So I would film the nutrition seminars. I would uh, provide information to people who came to the seminars. And I would also, you know, continue to connect a lot and kind of cross pollinate in the local scene, eventually, you know, I I got accounts up and running and had much more of a social presence, but that's where a lot of people felt like I kind of came out of nowhere. But through networking, I presented at the Arnold Classic um, at an event with a number of other coaches, Arnold Sports Festival that happens in March in Ohio in the United States every year. And that every year except 2020, except for 2020, right? So Mm -hmm. pre-COVID, a regular, regular event for folks. So for me, uh, that was definitely helpful. But prior to all of that, it's like, I don't want people to think, well, oh, you just, you already had this like huge social following from, you know, doing your own fitness and nutrition coaching. And I had competed a little bit here and there, but it's like, I, I didn't have this massive following as like an athlete or as personality or anything like that. And it was really more of, okay, how do I have proof of concept within the people that I am helping? And then also realizing, you know, I can continue to do what I was doing with nutrition clients, but also it was also a ripple effect thing too. So I have an entire podcast on my platform about the ripple effect of coaching. Just basic math. If I can help 10 coaches who have 50 clients, that's 500 people versus for me to help 500 people with their nutrition or with their hormones or physiology, you know, any issue that they're dealing with metabolic compensation, et cetera, that would take me a really long time. It would also cost them, you know, quite a bit versus if I can provide that education for coaches, they can then provide it for their clients and also potentially at an affordable rate and we reach a wider amount of people uh, and, and have a greater level of impact. And it's kind of just paying it forward to that extent. Also heard something I really liked the other day from uh, more of like a business mind that I follow. And he was talking about how even with his own one-on-one consultations, it's like, if he doesn't move out of the way, it also doesn't make room for people who are maybe just kind of close to his level of experience or trying to get to where he is or maybe a few years behind where he is and that those people can step up and kind of fill that. I didn't necessarily have that viewpoint three to five years ago, but now I think I'm able to see that, that for me, 
helping those other coaches, it, it moves me out of the way where other people can serve that role and serve that purpose and help people. Sam, what I, and also I'm sorry. have that larger, you know, kind of ripple effect. So let's, let's have a ripple effect. I need your help making potentially the most overwhelmingly complicated issue in the world. Simple. And that is the issue of what should people eat. It's insane how many different people will tell you different things about what you should eat and why. Whether they have a dog in the race or not. Whether they are trying to get you to buy their product or not. It's you should eat keto. You should eat Atkins. You should eat Zone. You should eat Paleo. No, carnivore is the best. No, high carb is the best. And people get information from a million different places. I'm not asking you to be the authority who tells them what they should eat. I'm asking you to teach them how to decide for themselves what they should eat. Okay. At first I was, uh, I was following that question. I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can legitimately answer that for thousands of people, but in well, terms no, it's, of, it's, 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 what, what, I like the way that I like the way you flipped it though, which is what tools do they need to make the decision themselves in terms of how do I decide what's best for me, my body and my goals, what yes. I need to eat. Yes. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a kind of where this come, where this came from for me. It occurred to me yesterday to ask you this question today. We are in the process of um, building out a plan for a junior college to take care of all 800 of their athletes from a strength and conditioning and injury prevention and remediation perspective. The problem that they have is they don't have a huge budget and they only have four athletic trainers, I think, for 800 athletes. Four athletic trainers can't service 800 athletes. And they don't have the budget for us to service all of their athletes. And if we just tell them all, this is what you should do, many of them are going to get bad results. So what, what we landed on was what we should do is we should give the athletic trainers enough information to understand what we're teaching the athletes. Then we should teach the athletes enough to know when they need to go to the athletic trainer and what to do before they go to the athletic trainer, if their symptoms, the way that they're thinking doesn't line up with going to the athletic trainer. The idea of that becomes we help a junior college not have to service 800 athletes because 600 end up servicing themselves because they're subacute. They don't need to be in the athletic training office to be told that's okay. Go grab some ice and I did something for you. How do you help people? Not how do you, I'm asking you if you can, give our audience the same kind of opportunity. Like here's how you know if you're doing the right thing for yourself or not. Yeah. So I would distill that down into how can I give them a few tools, methods, models for figuring it out, for having a compass of where they need to go over their lifetime. And so the first thing is let's, let's look at the question. Like why do we care what we eat? Right. Because you're asking me, well, what should people eat, right? And everyone's arguing keto, carnivore, vegan. It's certainly confusing. It's frustrating. It's even annoying for me, someone who 
lives in nutrition and living in it, I think makes it even worse. Sure. Uh, but, but then there's the other side too, which is people who don't have the experience. That's, that's very challenging because I can only imagine being a beginner and being inundated with this information with the internet. It's more widely accessible than ever before. But first, most people approach a transformation because they have some sort of physical goal or they think about changing their eating or their exercise because they have some type of physical goal. But there's also another component, which is your quality of life and how you feel. And for a lot of people, that's important too. And that will move the needle. If, if someone really is feeling terrible, they may consider changing their behavior and creating a physical goal. But I think in the fitness bubble that we live in, um, a lot of that is, is driven by physical goals. And so for me, the way I sort of approach nutrition is we need to manipulate your nutrition and your daily activities and everything that goes around nutrition based on your physiology as a human being, which most human beings, aside from you, me, and our friends, Joel and Christine, they don't want to learn physiology. They don't care about physiology. So I describe that, that quality of life, that daily well-being as um, shreds, which is sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress. So how you should be eating should be based off of, well, how are you sleeping? What's your hunger like? If you're hungry all the time, maybe you're not eating enough or you're not creating satiating food, uh, satiating meals that are satiating food choices that are resulting in fullness. So maybe your fiber and protein are off. Let's look at your recovery. Are you an athlete? Are you training intensely? How, how should we look at fueling your body for what you're doing? We look at energy, right? So that could include anything from, you know, adrenal function, circadian rhythm. Do you, you know, have adequate energy when you wake up in the morning? Are you tired? Are you wired and tired at night? Or it could be energy for training performance. It could be energy, you know, something uh, more in your personal life, like libido. And then we start to continue down that path. So after you have digestion, so people, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free or vegan or keto, like get a lot of scrutiny about, well, why should I eliminate a food group? Well, Food group elimination can be powerful if you're struggling with something like your digestion or you're struggling with recovery or you're not necessarily getting the best results from your current approach. So from a physiological perspective, when we think about what we should be eating and how much we should be eating, I usually bring it back to more questions, which is why a lot of people who are more informed in the nutrition space will say, well, what should I eat? And they'll say, it depends. So first, I would look at you know, how, how someone is doing from a quality of life perspective. And the only way we can change your quality of life, and the last S is stress, which can include, you know, physical stress from training. It can include lifestyle stress, you know, arguments in your personal life. It could include uh, calorie deficit can be a form of stress as well. So we're going to look at those things, and then we can use that as a compass to make future decisions. Now, because physiology is this amorphous thing, it's like, well, how do I change my hormones? I don't understand how they work. And most people don't ever want to learn endocrinology. They don't care. They're just like, guys want better testosterone levels and women don't want crazy <laughs> cycles and they want to feel, they want to feel, you know, good and have good fertility. You know, if you're family planning, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, but then all of a sudden they get to the point where they're family planning and all of a sudden having a healthy cycle becomes really, really important. Obviously, Joelle talks a lot about that. On her Instagram. I have the opposite problem. I have three daughters. My testosterone, okay. I believe, is in line because I wake up with the same physiological state every day. You know, the yeah. uh, I got morning wood in the morning, and my yeah. daughter's just climbing bed, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Careful. No touching. 
Step you know, other side. Lay on the other side of that. But so, <laughs> I, I hear you. Family yeah. <laughs> so no, no, no. I, I got you. I got you. So working back from that, though. So like for you, that's great. So for for people who are tracking at home without labs, right? Because we don't want to have to go get expensive testing done every time we want to know how we're doing. That's a great thing, right? So like with women, something basic like body temperature can give us a lot of information. For men, something like do you, you know, have any sex drive whatsoever? Do you wake up with an erection in the morning? All of those things are part of like basic human function. Uh, and sometimes we take it for granted in kind of our fast paced society and the way these things are going. But I do want to tie this back to our nutritional choices, which from physiology, I say that our, our practices and our perceptions precede anything that's going on from a physiological perspective, unless you have some form of physical condition, trauma, um, you know, some form of medical disorder that or diagnoses that is beyond the scope of this podcast that we wouldn't necessarily be able to help with anyway, or at least not two guys talking on an interview over zoom. So hmm. perception and practices is really perception is like how I view the world, um, my relationships, my relationship with food, my relationship with exercise. That's going to make a big difference in terms of what I advise for you. If you have, if you really struggle with restricting and binging, or you really struggle with, um, you know, all you can do is two a days because you have to control your life through exercise. We need to work on, on those perceptions before we can manipulate what's going on from a physiological perspective. Practices are things like, you know, breathing, walking, meditating, training, you know, how you train, how you eat. So keto, for example, is a practice. Veganism is a practice. So I would pick the diet for you based off of, you know, we're going to pick that practice based off your perceptions, your relationship with food, your other, you know, things like your activity, how much are you sleeping? What's going in, you know, to your daily routine, what's going to work best for your life. And then that's going to those things together compounded over time, make the internal physiological changes that we have. So if you, you know, want to improve your adrenal health or thyroid health, or you want to improve your testosterone levels, but you've been in the calorie deficit for too long, um, or maybe you have lacking certain micronutrients, well, let's pick a diet that covers those nutritional needs and work you to a place where you feel hormonal improvement through sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, stress. So those are the tools I use to help people sift through all of the diets. And then a lot of people know like macros and they know calorie deficit means I do this to lose weight and calorie surplus to gain weight or maintenance phase to potentially recover or to hold my weight where it is. And so we could pick a maintenance phase surplus or deficit. And then I basically have these different things called the 10 toggles or seven pillars of transformation that we can use to determine like, okay, well, what are my macronutrient needs? What are my micronutrients or what do I need to be checking on a regular basis? And that's where with a coach, you'd be checking in on all of those. So one thing I'm working on for coaches right now is called the results roadmap which basically walks them through the intake form, getting a pulse on client transformation, then bringing them through check-ins every week. What toggles am I changing? What's going on from a physiological perspective? And then for the everyday person, what you'd be paying attention to is, okay, like how much am I moving? You know, how am I recovering from that movement? Um, am I losing weight? Am I gaining weight? What are my goals from a health perspective? So all those things would help you determine Maybe I shouldn't eat dairy or maybe I should, you know, eat gluten or maybe, you know, I do need to go keto or maybe 
that's unnecessary and I just need to follow a balanced diet and have an idea of how much I'm eating and track that from a macronutrient perspective. Well, a question I have for you that I imagine is similar for many of our listeners is in their own way. I recently ordered a half a steer, which is a male cow, right? And I have a half of a cow in my freezer at my house. No longer because I'm eating a ton of red meat. I also order fish from Alaska, Sitka salmon share, great fish coming right off the boat. The fish has nothing to do with my question. I guess I just wanted to share that I order food from a distance. The red meat. The red meat. The red meat. So I remember when I opened up the, the, when the farmer actually showed up in my house and was like, all right, where are we putting it? I was like, Jesus, that's a lot of meat. I don't think I realized it was going to be that much meat. I have, Sam, I have 200 pounds of ground beef in my garage. That's a lot of ground beef. So, 200 pounds is a lot of ground beef. Yes. So, excuse me, I have 100. There were 200 pounds in the delivery. Uh, and the other half went to my neighbor. The question I have for you is, how do I know if I'm eating too much red meat? How do I know if, and just let that be the stand-in for anything. You know, it's it's the, oh, too much red meat is bad for your cholesterol. Well, my cholesterol is 235. And my ratio is good. And I've always eaten this way. I like meat. I eat a fair amount of it. I try to get grass-fed beef and whatever, but I like it. How do we know without going to the doctor, without getting blood work done every six weeks, if our nutrition is supporting our lifestyle or if it's leading us to an impending doom? Yeah, I think with labs, you know, average, like minimum for health, I think just for awareness, especially depending on your family history, at least once a year, if you can do twice, that's great. If you're kind of a health nerd and you want to get more data quarterly, I, beyond that, unless you're working with a doctor to figure out a medication dosage, I don't know that going more frequently is going to do much besides drive up your bill, um, your medical bills. So I, I'm very similar to you. I enjoy grass-fed beef. I do eat some wild salmon. I'll, I'll have some free-range chicken or you know turkey or something like pasture pasture eggs and things like that. I think other than checking, you know, things like outside of cholesterol markers. And now we know a little bit more, actually, I just got a NMR uh, lipo profile the other day. So I'll loop you in, you know, when I get that and I'll let you know if I see anything interesting, but for the most part, a lot of us just get HDL, LDL and triglycerides. So you want to, you definitely want to look at triglycerides. Um, there are different ratios basically that we can look at, but, um, LDL and HDL, I think it used to be oversimplified as like good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. Well, the truth is cholesterol is the root of all of our hormones. We need cholesterol. And if you don't consume dietary cholesterol, you also, a lot of people neglect the fact that your liver can manufacture cholesterol. So even there are people who are on low fat diets, eating lots of grains that will still have high triglycerides and high LDL cholesterol. So, so look, this is where you. people... This is- I didn't mean to, I, I'm sorry to cut oh, you off. Sweet. This is, this is my report that I just got. I just got, um, oh, okay. 11. You're, you're, without your, your LDL. Hang on, scroll down. Yeah, I got you. So this is, this, this is literally recent for life insurance. Where is it? It's down here. There we go. Mm. No, yeah. Your HDL, your HDL is really, really good. Let's talk about I mean, it. I don't know what any of this stuff it. means. Where the hell am I going here? Okay. Yeah. Slow down. Ah, there we go. That's the page. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. So for guys, so like a lot of guys struggle to get over like that 45 mark. Nice. With HCL. So for those, of you, for those of you who can't see this, I'm at 63.6. Now you have to realize the Western. So if we talk about the expected reference range or reference range. I hate that range. Uh, yeah. What's tough is we're looking at basically a report of people, individuals who may range from healthy males in their twenties all the way through their eighties. But then there's also unhealthy people who are from their twenties to their eighties. So when you look at a range, you know, in range is not optimal. And so the reason I (laughs) call out the 63, the 63 is, is, is really, really good. Um, for, especially for men, women usually have higher HDL, but if, if you have a family history of cholesterol, I might want to dive into, you know, something like your APOB, your lipoproteins. Um, so there's uh, LP little a, there's other markers outside of what life insurance is not pulling right. because it's either it's slightly more expensive or they just have a basic, they basically create algorithms based off of this information to determine how much money they want to make off of you in case you die. So that when they have to pay out your premium, of course, you know, as grim as that sounds, they're saying based on this math, you're going to live this many years. Okay, great. Yeah, the interest, this is business. Yeah, the yeah, interest we're going to earn business. on your money is great. Yeah, so, exactly. This is this is business for them versus everything else. So to, to come back to the red meat question, though, full circle. So a lot of people worry about LDL and HDL um, as a result of consuming red meat. But you have to realize, you know, there's been systematic reviews. So if you want to go, if you're a literature person and not an anecdote person, so you're not, if you're not going to take Sean's anecdote of, hey, my HDL is a 63 and I eat a lot of red meat. I think well, should. we can look at the fact that, yeah, we, we should, right? But we can look at some of the data that, you know, there's changes in the omega-3 to omega-6 ratios in terms of fats. Um, we see changes in even vitamin and, you know, vitamin content, so whether it's beta-carotene, vitamin E. So having grass-fed, grass-finished beef can definitely make a difference on that front. I think what people misunderstand is they think when people in this sphere that we're in, very health-conscious folks are arguing like, grass-fed versus regular, that they're saying, well, don't ever eat regular lean red meat. And the truth is, is if you have the financial resources to do so and you enjoy the taste or you want to support a farmer that practices, you know, they're doing grass-fed, grass-finished, maybe, you know, a smaller farm or more local type of situation or doing a cow share, that's that's a different conversation. If we're going to talk about the economics of it, if you're going to talk about the environmental factors, that's a different conversation and you need to table that for another time. But if we're talking about from a nutrient perspective, obviously just consuming certain lean proteins can be helpful to, you know, not only from the protein perspective, but you are going to get vitamins and minerals that people sometimes neglect if you're only eating like a chicken and broccoli diet. So I think a lot of people have this conventional idea that chicken, rice, and broccoli is what they should be eating when in fact you need that combination of, well, you know, red meat and ruminants are going to provide certain micronutrition that you're not necessarily going to receive, even if you're trying to hit your macros with those other things. And then you've got to cover those nutrition gaps. But also, as I mentioned earlier, when you're not eating certain, you know, dietary fat, you can also, you know, your liver can make dietary fat and you can be basically doing other things to help with just overall inflammation in your body. So I'd be curious to see like your C-reactive protein levels, as I mentioned, your, um, you know, LPA or APO, APOB, all those things are, are good to look at beyond just conventional HDL and LDL. But with that being said, you seem to have pr- you know pretty good um, HDL 
particles. So that's that's good. So when we look at those other uh, indicators, so for the audience who's less familiar familiar with some of that, it's really you start to look at particle size um, and and getting into a little bit more nuance on the cardiovascular health side. Uh, but I really like CRP because it's it also just helps to look at inflammation in the body as a whole. CRP and we know that a lot of creatine re- reactive protein. Uh, C reactive protein. Yes, C protein. Very, very helpful from uh, the perspective of looking at inflammation. And now there's like quant, CRP quant, and then there's highly sensitive. If you can get the, the HS CRP, which is highly sensitive CRP, that's helpful. Um, what, what's a quant? So quant means, I think the way they run the test at Quest or LabCorp, a lot of times if you're under a 1.0, you it'll just say less than 1.0. They won't give you like a. 0.1, So getting the highly sensitive uh, can be helpful, but yeah. So giving like breaking this down. So obviously there's going to be advanced listeners who are like, Oh man, I love this. Let's talk about the labs. And then there's going to be people who are like, man, I still don't know what to eat. So mm-hmm. I want to bring it full circle to the red meat conversation is if you are within your energy balance needs, you're meeting your micronutrition needs as well as your macro, you know, macronutrients, you're exercising appropriately and you do not have a certain predisposition or risk factors that would indicate otherwise, I think you can totally include, it's what I'm doing personally, you know, totally include things like red meat as a part of a healthy diet. I think where people run into issues is they, they take one bit of extreme advice and then latch onto that and follow that extreme diet. And then they go to another extreme you know, and also just because you like grass-fed beef doesn't mean you don't have to eat plants, right? Like mm-hmm. I can eat plants with my grass-fed beef or I could, you know, have some vegetables or maybe I have some well, sweet potato or something. Maybe the, you digest well, ba- FODMAP better. Based on the math and the amount of meat that I purchased, I need to eat about four-tenths of a pound of meat every single day for a year to finish all of the meat that's in my freezer. So yeah. I don't know if I'll do that, but it's... I just wanted to know if I was going to die from that or not. You know, I'm trying to be around for more than a year. I, I mean, based on your current labs, which obviously we don't have a super comprehensive thing because life insurance is a little bit bare bones. Yeah. I mean, your your fasted blood glucose, I don't know if that was fasted or postprandial, but your glucose was super low. Um, so that's, we don't want it too low. We don't want to be like hypoglycemic, but you seem to have good glucose control and HDL was pretty good. So, so I'm not the conventional, die. yeah, I, I mean, knock on wood, right, man? Not yet, not keep yet. you around a little longer. Well, at least, at least, at least, not from what's in my blood. Right? We don't, we don't know what's going right, on. Right, right. So, Sam, if if a, it's clear that you have a, a a wide array of knowledge, both from the, um, textbook, to the application, to the coaching of the application thereof. Obviously, because of the way you've pivoted your business, people who are looking for a nutrition coach shouldn't reach out to you, but. I do imagine that people who are looking for a nutrition coach could reach out to you and ask you, have you worked with a nutrition coach who you think would be good for me? And then nutrition coaches who want to learn more and dive deeper into their, to their practice should be reaching out to you. Where can they find you? Sure. So my website is sammillerscience.com. Um, my Instagram is sammillerscience. I have a podcast, sammillerscience. And I do presently, so depending on when you're listening to this episode, um, I do have an assistant coach who's, who's been trained by me to handle a lot of these things. I also have a network of coaches through who have completed my functional nutrition and metabolism science specialization. So if there's someone that based on your personality, I think, hey, you'd be a really great fit for 
Christine or whoever, uh, you know, we can make that introduction happen if for whatever reason we don't have the bandwidth. I have been debating offering stuff, if, if I can free up the time for it, trying to help people with some consults here and there because I feel like there are a lot of people who are frustrated and confused right now. And I, you know, but I don't want to get distracted from my whole purpose of kind of helping coaches as don't, well. So, don't. yeah. Don't so for me, let, yeah. me, let me help you with that debate. Uh, follow your logic, not your emotion, because yeah, yeah. you you followed your logic to where you are because your emotions were different when you were where you are thinking about going back to. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just, you know, for folks who are listening, I, I will always try to point someone in the right direction um, as best I can. And usually that will either be a mentee of mine or it will be a coach who's on my team who has gone through my program as well. Um, so in either case, we'll make sure you're taken care of. Uh, but for coaches, similar science for everything is, is where to find me. I do have um, a really super easy way to get started with my material uh, would be the metabolism blueprint. So that's metabolismblueprint.com. And uh, for less than a cup of coffee, you can learn about a lot of my methods and models and get acquainted with uh, some of my teachings and the way I do things. I also have a free Facebook group for coaches called the Nutrition Coaching Collaborative. Uh, we got about 1,300 coaches in there. And I typically will do live trainings uh, every Wednesday. I, I will rotate it around like holidays and stuff. But typically every week I'm doing free trainings in there, complimentary information and resources try to answer questions as best I can. So if you're just looking to get started and get some information and you're a certified coach who wants to learn more about nutrition, but maybe not ready to do any programs at this time, that's a great place to hang out because um, you'll get some resources. There's guides and then also links to my three-day functional nutrition workshop um, or I have a accelerator workshop as well. So that's the uh, best way to get a hold of me. Facebook group, uh, Nutrition Coaching Collaborative, SamWellerScience.com and then SamWellerScience on Instagram, my out there quite a bit in the podcast. Nice, man. I appreciate that. I'm trying to make it easy. Now that I committed to the similar science, it has to, has to be that, right? Yeah. Well, especially once it's on your driver's license. Is is there anything I didn't ask you about that I should have? No, I don't think so. I think we're, uh, I think we covered a wide spectrum of topics. All right, Sam, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review, as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym. And the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now.